morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Whenever a young man summons the courage to ask a young lady to be his bride, he only wants to hear one word. Yes. When you go for a job interview and you're waiting for that phone call, you only want to hear one word. Yes. When you apply for a home mortgage, you're only waiting to hear one word. Yes. We like yes. When I was a kid, we had a toy called a magic eight ball. I was surprised to find they still sell them. Looked like an eight ball. You could ask it a yes or no question, and it would give you an answer. I did some research on it on the Internet, and it told me that there were 20 possible answers on a magic eight ball. Ten were yes, five were no, and five were maybe ask me later. So you had a 75% chance of getting a yes or possibly from the magic eight ball. We like that. I wish I had one today. Is this sermon going to be boring? Maybe. Ask me later. Is Nick going to sleep through the message? He always does. Are the Rams going to make the playoffs (laughs) next year? Are the Cardinals going to re-sign Pujols? We, We like yes. The alternative isn't so popular. That's the answer that causes our kids to throw temper tantrums. That's the the answer that causes our tempers to rise and our tears to fall. We don't like no. And sadly, many people view God as the one who always says no. He's always negative. He's the cosmic killjoy. They imagine that when you come into God's presence, he's already pointing his finger at you saying, no, no, I told you no. So it may surprise some of you to know that God's favorite word is yes. I'm going to pick up where we left off in verse 12 and go through this passage in the future. But this morning, I want to zero in on one verse. And to set the stage for that verse, in verses 15 to 17, Paul made some plans, and then he changed his plans. And his critics said, said, he says yes, but then he turns around and says no. He vacillates. You can't trust him. And Paul turns that accusation into a teaching moment. He wants to make an important point. And he makes that point in verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God 
through us. What's he saying? No matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. Now, how many promises do you think God has made? There's a little devotional book called A Promise a Day. It contains 365 promises, one you can read every day. That's nice. There's a guy named Herbert Lockyer. He has written a number of books. One is called All the Miracles in the Bible. One is called All the Parables in the Bible. He wrote a book called All the Promises in the Bible. He found 7,457 promises in the Bible. And our verse tells us that Jesus is the yes to every single one of God's promises. That's 7,457 times that God says yes. And when God says yes, verse 20 says, we say amen. Now I'm told that there's only two words in the human language that are the same in every language. If you can find another one, let me know. But those two words are hallelujah, which means praise the Lord, and amen. And amen means so be it, or right on. Some of us think amen means the end, because we put it at the end of prayers. I'm done. When we, hear it in, when, a, when we hear it in a setting like this, it's almost like saying to the pastor, sick them. Amen. Go get them. He tells us here, we are to say amen to every promise of God. And I think what he means is not just that we say it with our mouth, but that we say it with our lives. When God makes a promise and God says yes, we need to say, so be it. I embrace that and live that out with my life. Have you ever wanted to ask God a question? Well, let's ask him five questions this morning and listen for his favorite word. Question number one, God Do you love me? And God's answer is yes. When I was a little child, I used to sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. God loves everyone everywhere. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And when anyone on this planet asks him, God, do you love me? They hear God answer in their language. A Spanish or Italian person hears "si." The German and Dutch hear ya. The French hear we. The Chinese, she. The Japanese, hi. The Russian, da. The African who speaks Swahili hears sawa. The Minnesotan hears you betcha. The person from the boot heel hears, yep. (laughs) 
You know, if you need proof that God loves you, you just have to look at the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation is just a big word that means the satisfaction for our sins. And where did that happen? On the cross. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, He is the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, the cross answers the question, God, do you love me? And it not only says yes to that, it tells me that his love is unsurpassed and unconditional. God's love is unsurpassed. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than laying down your life for your friends. Well, guess what? He showed greater love than that because he laid down his life for who? For his enemies. The cross shows us that God's love is unsurpassed. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Not only is it unsurpassed, it's unconditional. Romans 5.8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't doing anything to deserve his love. In fact, we were doing just the opposite. We were sinning against him. We were unlovable when he loved us. And so God's love for you is unconditional. You don't have to ever sit around and pull the pedals and say, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You always know that God loves you. He doesn't love you if you act a certain way. He loves you any way. You can never do anything to cause God to love you more. You know, it used to bother me that in the Bible, it always speaks about when it says God loved loved us, it's always in the past tense. God loved us. God loved me. God loved the world. But I came to realize the reason it's spoken in the past is because God's love is always pointing back to the cross. Because the cross is the greatest expression of love imaginable. And what he's saying is, if God loved you that much, that Jesus would die on the cross for you, there is no question left about whether he loves you today. That question has been forever answered When you look back and focus on the cross, yes, God loves me. Second question, God, do you forgive all my sins? Now, that's an important question because the Bible makes it clear that we stand guilty before a holy God. We are sinners. But rather than judging us on the basis of our sins, God offers us a full and free pardon Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, 
so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Your sins were removed as far as the east is from the west. I'm glad he didn't say that the north is from the south. Because if you go north far enough, you're going to hit the point where you start going south. But no matter how far you go east, you will always say, that's east and that's west. They never come together. And that's the way it is with your sin. God said in Isaiah 44, 22, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud. In Micah 7, 19, you will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. God says in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive your iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God doesn't forgive like us. We forgive and say, I'm never going to forget that. God forgives and chooses never to remember your sin anymore. It's a beautiful thought. When you come to God and say, remember the sin I committed last year? He says, no, I don't remember because it's been forgiven. That's the way God forgives. And again, if you need proof of his forgiveness, it's the cross. That's where he paid for your sins. That's where he became sin for us. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. You see, on the basis of the cross, God forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. Now, because we're finite beings, we often struggle with the concept of God forgiving our sins in the future. We often think, well, I know God can forgive the past sins, but I have a problem believing that he's going to forgive the sins that I haven't yet committed. If you struggle with that, let me just ask you to consider something. How many of your sins were future when Jesus died on the cross? All of them. It didn't matter from your perspective right now in 2009 whether they were past, present, and future. He died for every one of them when they were future. Every one of your sins is forgiven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Horatio G. Spafford was an American lawyer in the 1800s. Around 1870, his wife and daughters were traveling on a ship that encountered a storm and sank in the Atlantic Ocean. All four of his daughters drowned. His wife survived. And Mr. Spafford quickly caught a ship to England to join his heartbroken wife. On his voyage, when he got to the spot where his daughters drowned, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Do you know what the third verse is in that familiar hymn? It goes like this. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. You see, he understood the cross. And when you understand the cross, the question is forever answered. 
yes, all my sins are forgiven. Let's ask God a third question. God, do you have a plan for my life? And the answer is yes. You say, well, Dan, let me stop you right here. God doesn't always say yes. Sometimes he says no. That's right. There are times in the Bible when God says, no, don't do that. But when God says no, you need to understand that he always says no in the light of a greater good. He always says no to something that's painful so that he can say yes to something that's wonderful. He always says no to the lesser so that he can say yes to the greater. And if you're a parent, you do that. I hope if your child is going to stick a fork into an electrical outlet that you say, no, don't do that. You see, you have a better plan for your kids. So you say no. God's plan for us is described beautifully in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. You say, Dan, that's a great verse. But my life is a mess right now. And it seems that God's plan isn't working out. Well, let me encourage you by saying this. God isn't finished yet. God isn't finished yet. God doesn't promise that everything that happens in your life will be good. But he does promise in Romans 8.28 that if you love God and you are one of his called ones, that he will work out everything for good. When I was a kid, and for the kids in here, there was a time when ovens were actually used to cook in. You know, your mom didn't just store stuff there. When I was a kid, I used to watch my mom make a cake, and she would make a cake from scratch. She would have a cup of flour. She would have a couple raw eggs. She would have uh, a cup of sugar. She would have a cup of melted butter. Now, none of those ingredients were very attractive by themselves. I wasn't sitting there watching her make the cake thinking, I hope she doesn't notice if I drink that butter. But somehow, she took all those ingredients and she put them together and she mixed them up and she put them in the oven and voila, a cake came out. And it was delicious. Sometimes there are painful things in your life, difficult things in your life. You know what? God takes the good and the bad and the ugly, and he mixes them together and he puts them in his oven, and voila, God brings about his plan in your life. Fourth question, God, what do you want me to say? 
And the answer is yes. The response to that question is recorded in Isaiah 26, 8, where we read, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desires of our heart. We all remember April 20th, 1999. That's when 14 students and one teacher were killed at Columbine High School. One of the students who was shot and killed was a 17-year-old girl named Cassie Bernal. Before becoming a Christian two years earlier, she had been a goth girl dressing in black, and she was determined to try to reach out to her friends with the gospel. Cassie had long blonde hair, and just days before the attack, she had told her aunt that she was going to cut her hair short and donate it to a program that made wigs for kids undergoing chemotherapy. Although she was known as quiet, she had a radiant smile, and everybody knew that her favorite movie was Braveheart. When she faced death, Cassie demonstrated some amazing bravery herself because according to students in the library who survived, one of the gunmen came up and pointed his weapon at her and tauntingly asked her, do you believe in God? And Cassie was terrified but answered, yes. And that's the last word she ever said before she was ushered into eternity. Her mother wrote a best-selling book entitled, She Said Yes. Yes may not be your last word, but it should be the most common word you use when speaking to God. Just think about how God used people who said yes to him. Noah said yes to building a boat. Abraham said yes to leaving his country and going where he had no idea where God was taking him. And then he said yes to sacrificing his only son. Moses said yes to delivering his people. When Gabriel told Mary she would give birth to the Son of God, she said Yes, Lord, let it be as you have said. And when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, yes, yes. What is God calling you to today? Is it salvation? Is it surrender? Is it sacrifice? Is it service? His favorite word is yes. He loves to say it, and he loves to hear it. Fifth question. Jesus, are you coming back? And the answer to that is on the last page of the Bible. I want you to go there so you see it. The last page of the Bible in Revelation 22, I think I wrote down the wrong scripture. It's verse 20, the second to the last verse in the Bible. 
says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, yes, I am coming quickly. And what do we say in response? Amen. So be it. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the last time God says yes in the Bible. You know where the first time is that God says yes in the Bible? It's in Genesis 17, and God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a child. And it literally says, Abraham fell down laughing. He said, I'm 100, Sarah's 90, could we possibly have a child? That's funny. And God said, yes, your wife Sarah will bear a son, and you will name him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. You're going to have a son, and for the rest of your life, you're going to call him laughter. That's God's way of saying, I'm going to get the last laugh. A lot of people laugh at the idea of Jesus coming back. But God is going to get the last laugh. Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And those who know him and love his appearing say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, today it's hard to know who to believe because we hear a lot of empty promises. We hear things like, this is only going to take a moment of your time. I'm not trying to sell you anything. This won't hurt a bit. Preachers say in closing. If I'm elected, I will. But you know, when God makes a promise, it is yes. In Christ, it is rock solid. Does he love you? Yes. Does he forgive all your sins? Yes. Does he have a plan for your life? Yes. Is he coming back? Yes. What does he want to hear from you? Yes. You can stand on the promises of God. You know, when Peter walked on the water, he wasn't really walking on water. He was walking on the word of God. Because Jesus said, come. And as long as he stepped out in faith and said yes to the word of God, he was doing fine. But when he started looking at the waves and thinking, I can't walk on water, he began to doubt and he began to sink. As the hymn writer says, standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of fear and doubt assail, By the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. You can stand on the promises of God this morning because every one of them is yes in Christ. So let's be people who say yes to a God who loves to say yes to us.
we're going to close our service with communion. I'm going to have Mike Edmonds come because he's going to do a part of church life that's not a whole lot of fun this morning before we prepare our hearts for communion. So as Mike comes, he's going to share that, and then he's going to pray and lead us into the time of communion together.